We are, I want to continue with uh, our preview, if you will, of uh, the book of Daniel. Because Daniel is such a rich, rich book and a rich study, I want to anticipate the themes and alert you to the various themes and the various purposes to the book of Daniel so that as we encounter them, you will have already had some measure of introduction to them and understand and be anticipating what we're going to be looking for. It's a rich study. Hopefully you have been reading through the book of Daniel. And I want to continue, encourage you to continue reading Daniel. You, you can't read it enough. It is absolutely jam-packed, as you'll see this morning, uh, from the things that I want to identify for you. There is much, much there. And these, these uh, bear repeating. Now, last time we began our introduction, we began our preview, if you will, of, of the book of Daniel. And we, we looked at uh, what could be called the historical purpose of Daniel. And the historical purpose was twofold, mainly. First, it was to give comfort and encouragement to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. Now, remember, these people have been carried off in captivity. They had no idea how long they were going to be there, albeit Jeremiah had indicated that the captivity would be 70 years. No one realized that because no one paid attention to Jeremiah, except Daniel later on toward the end of the exile. So these records and these themes uh, in this book was written for those Jewish exiles so that they would have some measure of hope, some measure of comfort. God hadn't forgotten them. And secondly, uh, the purpose would be to prove that uh, to the Jewish exiles as well as to the Babylonians and all the other nations on the earth that the Lord, the God of Israel, is the only true God. There is no other God, and that he rules the world no matter what appearances may be. Now you recall the appearance would be, and because those ancient peoples, many of them were very superstitious, believed that if they were able to conquer another nation or tribe, they were able to do so because their God was more powerful than the conquered nation or tribe's God. And so now you have the Jews wondering, is our God really powerful? because the Babylonians have conquered us and carried us up off into captivity. You have to appreciate this, because the Jews typically, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom both, uh, were notorious about living in denial about their own rebellion and idolatry and sin. And so they would never look to themselves, well, we're off in captivity because we were disobedient. They would just think, that, well, well, maybe our God is not as strong as the Babylonian God. Does that make sense? So the, the book is written, among other things, historically, to prove that the God of Israel is the only true God, despite what appearances may say. Sometimes appearances uh, may look like God has kind of forgotten you, or God is maybe taking a vacation. He's not forgotten you. He knows what he's doing. He is working. He has a plan and a purpose. And we draw comfort and encouragement from that and confidence. We live by faith, not by sight, right? We live by faith by, in a God who has revealed himself through his word to us, has revealed himself in history, and we see over and over his testimony is that he's a faithful God, despite what appearances may seem. So this is a very, very important issue. Now I want us to understand, <coughs> excuse me, 
what could be termed doctrinal or spiritual purposes of the book. So there's a historical purpose, two of them, and now there's going to be some doctrinal and uh, spiritual purposes for Daniel. And as well, I want us also to look at uh, what could be termed the Christ-centered purpose or the Christological purpose of the book of Daniel, because you'll see Christ throughout the book of Daniel. And I'll point out to you a number of those instances. But let's go first to the doctrinal or spiritual themes. There's there's at least, I could identify eight major themes that you could, you could term doctrinal or spiritual in the book of Daniel. And I want us to, to understand these because we're going to anticipate them. And then as we study through the book, we're going to begin to see them and uh, study them each individually. First, we've already seen this one, but it bears repeating. The message of Daniel affirms God's supreme rule and God's supreme authority. There is no other God. He is sovereign over all the nations, and he's sovereign over all the rulers of the earth. Daniel served under, and he foresaw some of the most powerful kingdoms this world has ever seen, mighty world empires. Now, we're greatly removed from those empires, but you have to understand, if you're a student of history, these were terrifically powerful empires, and each one in its turn ruled the known world. Yet behind those empires rise and fall in the ever-changing power structures of this world, Daniel knew the Lord, who is never-changing. Kingdoms come and go, don't they? Rulers come and go. Leaders come and go. But guess what? God is always, always the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Daniel's God, the God of Israel, is truly, truly in charge of history, and he is in charge of nations. And that ought to give us pause and uh, for opportunity to say, God, thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that you're in charge. This world is crazy. People are sitting there. They got their fingers on the button. But Lord, you are sovereign, and you've got everything under control. I can exhale. It is the Lord who is orchestrating history according to his purposes. That's a very, very important reality. God is orchestrating history according to his purposes. And you and I may not know the particular uh, aspects of his purpose, but his overarching purpose is to bring in a kingdom of righteousness, ultimately, true? So whether the rulers of nations acknowledge it or not, They live and they rule at the Lord's discretion alone. Many people are puffed up and prideful. Many leaders think, I I am the the cat's meow. (laughs) But you know what? God would say, you only rule because I have allowed you to. I think of some of these despots over the generations and, and those who are ruling nations today and enslaving nations today. You say, well, why would God allow that? He has his purpose. And those leaders are all accountable to him one day. And they're going to have to serve and they're going to have to give a cause for how they ruled. The second purpose of Daniel in that sense would be clearly seen in the fact that it shows the true sinfulness and rebellion of the human race. You cannot get away from this. No excuses. Defiance of God, defiance of his authority is at every level. 
and it can be clean. It, can, it can be seen clearly in a number of points in the book of Daniel. Most clearly, it's seen in the pride and the self-exaltation of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king who refused to acknowledge the king of kings over in chapter 4 when you read that. And when he refused to acknowledge the king of kings, what did God do? Humbled him, didn't he? Humbled him. He ate grass. He, he, went, he went nuts, if you will. King Belshazzar, who followed Nebuchadnezzar as the Babylonian ruler, serves, I think, as another example of arrogance and defiance against God, as well as uh, someone who was seeking uh, the, the, the world of pleasure and and uh, um, worldliness, chapter 5, you see that. The sins and the unfaithfulness of Israel are also recorded in the book of Daniel. So it's, it's not only the, the pagan rulers, but it's also the people. And those, their sins, their sinfulness, their willful rebellion is also recorded. And you can see this in Daniel's great prayer for his people, in which he seeks the mercy of God and God's restoration of his people, uh, and that is in chapter 9, uh, Daniel's great prayer. Daniel also predicts the extreme sacrilege and uh, persecution by Antiochus Epiphanes against the Jews. Remember, the book of Daniel is written in the 6th century. Antiochus rules in the 2nd century B.C. So 400 years prior to Antiochus, uh, Daniel predicts the cruel reign and rebellion of Antiochus towards the Jews. He would attempt to stamp out the worship of the king of Israel, God, the true living God, and force the Jews to worship himself. And finally, the embodiment and the height of rebellion, human rebellion, can be seen in the coming of Antichrist. The book of Daniel describes the rise of this arrogant, satanic ruler as well as the world's misplaced trust in his lies. As you read chapters 7, 8, and 11, you see references again to the Antichrist. And all of this wickedness, that of proud kings, defiant rulers, unfaithful Israel, deceived followers, and the Antichrist, all this is recorded in the book of Daniel. And at the root of all of this wickedness is simple idolatry. It's simple idolatry. That's an issue that every single one of us continue to battle with. Every one of us are going to have things in our life that rise up, that get between us and God, that to, for us, for some season, are going to be more important than God. They're going to get in the way of our relationship, our worship, our love, our devotion to Him. Idolatry. The world is full of idols. Our life can be full of them. The challenge for us is to, is to know that possibility, know that reality, and and, and tear down those idols, tear down those high places. In Daniel, we see the world's rulers trusting in their own powers, trusting in their own selves, exalting themselves over the living God, demanding allegiance, even worship from their followers. And again, this is blatant idolatry. And we also uh, see in the book of Daniel the world's citizens blindly trusting in such leaders, mere mortals, to protect and to provide for them. The Antichrist is going to be incredibly, incredibly persuasive. 
incredibly seductive. People are going to go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And people are going to be seduced, and they're going to be willing followers and willing accomplices, blindly trusting. <coughs> men trust in other men more than they trust in God who created them. And that's our challenge, is we, we trust in God. We want to trust in God. We want to trust in God. Because if we trust in men solely, that too is idolatry and it is rebellion. A rebellion against the true living God, the only one who deserves our worship. The third purpose, doctrinally, would be the book of Daniel shows clearly the reality of spiritual warfare and the power of prayer. You see this in chapter 10. In chapter 10 is recounted uh, the event of this, this spiritual being known as the Prince of Persia. Apparently a very strong, very powerful, evil spirit said to have resisted this interpreting angel sent to answer Daniel's prayers and have, said to have delayed this, this prayer, this angel, for 21 days, a period of 21 days. And the angel Michael was sent by God to assist this lesser angelic being so that he could indeed explain God's visions to Daniel. And so together they overcame the prince of Persia. You read about that in chapter 10. Daniel, interestingly, had prayed and fasted for three weeks, those 21 days. When the angel finally gets there, he, he tells Daniel, your prayer was answered the first day, but I've been withstood for 21 days. So, you know, our prayers are heard right away. But Daniel, when he was fasting and praying for those three weeks, all the while behind the scenes, unknown to him, his powerful spiritual beings were battling in response to those fervent prayers of his. Warfare. And so God pulls the curtain back a little bit for us so we see behind the scenes of what's going on in the spiritual realm. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6 that our fight is not with flesh and blood. That our battle is against spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. And we see this clearly reflected in the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel. And he clearly reveals that there are spiritual powers in this world who are at war with God and with his people. The human race is the primary battlefield. And the battle is over allegiance. Evil seeks the allegiance of the human heart. Evil seeks to rob God of the allegiance that's due him. And so many times, human beings are dupes, and we fall into that, and we go down the path of evil. We're not thinking, we're not paying attention. Daniel unveils this spiritual and historic battle, perhaps more than any other book of Scripture. Evil is very presently with us. And again, it's a battle it's a battle for our souls. It's a battle for our allegiance to God. And, and the, the dark side does not want God to be glorified and God to be honored. It's that simple. And we're in, we're, in, we're in the focus of that struggle. 
in our, in our Utes today, they're, they're right at the heart of the battle. And, the, and so many of them are so easily given over to what I would describe as the dark side. With so much stuff on the internet and, 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 and some of these vile video games that kids find themselves engaging uh, and given over to, uh, all sorts of things. And, and they just, they're willingly going down that path. The fourth reason, spiritually, for the book of Daniel is to reveal the truth and accuracy of God's holy word. God's word is true, and it is accurate. You can depend upon it. No other book of Scripture contains as many fulfilled prophecies, predictions proven by the record of history as the book of Daniel. Daniel predicted the rise and fall of no less than four world empires. And the, the, the latter two of those empires, Greece and Rome, <coughs> excuse me, were predicted hundreds of years before their time. He predicted the fall of the Babylonian Empire to the Medes and the Persians, the fall of the Medo-Persian Empire to Alexander the Great of Greece. He predicted the division of Alexander's empire after his death into four subsidiary kingdoms, the Seleucid kingdoms. And he predicted that those four kingdoms would fall to the empire of Rome. And you study history. You don't have to be a PhD in history. You see very clearly that all of these empires came and went in exactly the frame that he identifies. He also predicted the horrific persecution of the Jews by Antiochus Epiphanes, again in the second century BC, and his defilement of the Jewish temple in which he sacrificed an unclean and forbidden animal. The animal was called a what? It's a pig. And, and Daniel predicts that. The detail is phenomenal. And when you read Daniel and you read it from the perspective of history, looking back, it's jaw-dropping the accuracy with which Daniel makes these predictions. You, you just come away absolutely astounded. In his vision of 70 weeks, and that's going to be a fascinating study when we get to the 70 weeks, Daniel even predicted to the very year the beginning of Christ's ministry and even his death. To the very year. It's absolutely astounding, the accuracy of his predictions. Now, it is noteworthy, I think, that all of these predictions and Daniel's detailed interpretation of dreams, they are set up against the backdrop of Babylonians' occult advisors and their inability to interpret anything. These guys were absolutely clueless. They were presumably the best and the brightest in Babylon and in, in, in the Persian culture. They were the wisest, most respected soothsayers, magicians, astrologers, fortune tellers that the Babylonian Empire and Persian empires had to offer, and yet they had absolutely no power, no insight, no understanding whatsoever that we see with respect to Daniel. Daniel stands out clearly, and it's a testimony to the God of Israel, and to the God of Daniel, that gives him these tremendous, tremendous visions and insight. Daniel teaches us that the Lord alone knows the future. The Lord alone knows the future, and that he alone grants insight into the future to his people as he chooses. 
You and I, we don't even have weather people that can tell us what the weather is going to be like. I mean, think about that. Number five, the book of Daniel predicts the rise of the Antichrist in the last days of human history and also predicts his defeat and his judgment by God in chapter 7 and 11. Number six, the book of Daniel predicts the seven-year period of great suffering to come upon the earth known as the great, what? Tribulation. Chapter 7, 8, 9, 11, and 12 all encompass that seven-year period. And this period is divided into two halves and marks the separation by a specific event. Do you know what specific event marks the separation of the seven-year period into two distinct halves? Not the rapture. The Antichrist breaks a treaty that he makes with Israel. That marks the separation. He is so slick, so convincing, so good, in a sense of people being, feel they place their... He will cause Israel actually to disarm, if you can believe that. With all the nations of the earth surrounding Israel... He will guarantee their security and they will disarm. He breaks the treaty with them. And then the last three and a half years of the tribulation, known as the time of Jacob's trouble, this is the worst, worst time Israel will ever experience and and indeed the earth and all the people on the earth. And Daniel predicts all of that with amazing detail, amazing clarity. Number seven, the book of Daniel affirms the resurrection of the dead. This is amazing. If you just flip back with me to the last chapter of Daniel, chapter 12, I just want you to see these verses. Daniel chapter 12, just the first two verses. It's probably going to be months before we'll get there, but I'm going to give you a little preview. (laughs) This is a little bonus. The first two verses of chapter 12, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Isn't that glorious? Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So we see that Daniel clearly uh, affirms the resurrection of the dead. And number eight, the book of Daniel foretells the ultimate triumph of Christ and his kingdom. Chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 9. Jesus and the saints, his true followers, will rule over all the kingdoms and all the powers of the world. The kingdom of God and his Christ is symbolized by the fifth kingdom in chapter 2 of Daniel where we see the great statue of Nebuchadnezzar and there's four kingdoms represented and then there's a fifth kingdom. That's the kingdom of Christ. That fifth kingdom also is identified in Daniel's vision of the four beasts in chapter 7. And of all these eight spiritual themes 
there are two that stand out and I think provide a backdrop for all the rest. So if you were to categorize these, these are the two most important and everything else hangs on these two themes out of the eight. Number one, God's sovereignty over history, God's sovereignty over the nations. The wicked kingdoms of the earth, he re- in, in, in his use of the nations to bring about his purposes on this earth. God is sovereign over history and nations. And secondly, God's ultimate plan to destroy the wicked kingdoms of the earth and to replace them with an everlasting kingdom of righteousness. That's his own kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. Finally, finally, righteousness comes. Righteousness in every aspect of that word is made known on the face of the earth, the kingdom of Christ. So now, we looked at the historical purposes for the book. We looked at some doctrinal purposes for the book. Now I want us to turn our attention to the Christ-centered purposes of the book. In other words, God has, through Daniel, a purpose to show us Christ in history and the role and the place that Christ plays in the book of Daniel. And it contains, the book of Daniel contains several references to Christ. In chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, he is the most holy and the anointed one. You see that reflected in those verses in chapter 9. He's anointed to put an end to sin, we're told. He's anointed to atone for wickedness and to bring everlasting righteousness to the earth. Secondly, also in chapter 9, uh, the years of Christ's ministry and the years of his death are prophesied, as we said earlier, in Daniel's vision of the 70 weeks. Third, Christ also makes several pre-incarnate appearances. In other words, he appears before he's ever born as Jesus the Christ there are several pre-incarnate appearances of the Christ. He is very likely the man in chapter 12, the man clothed in linen in Daniel's vision at the Tigris River. Christ is very likely the fourth man in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3, and he is identified in having the form of the Son of God uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. He is very likely the Son of Man who approaches the Ancient of Days and whose dominion endures forever, chapter 7. He is very likely the one with the appearance of a man who commanded Gabriel to explain to Daniel his vision of the ram and the goat in chapter 8. He is very likely the man in Daniel's vision at the Tigris River who had a face like that of lightning, eyes of fire, and a voice of a multitude, chapter 10. And so you see these various pre-incarnate appearances, this man, this man, and, and uh, I want to suggest to you that these are pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. Fourth, Christ's everlasting kingdom is also prophesied as the fifth kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar's dream of that huge statue in chapter 2. His kingdom is prophesied as the fifth kingdom in Daniel's dream of the four beasts, the world empires, in chapter 7. 
and also in chapter 9 in Gabriel's interpretation of Daniel's dream of 70 weeks. So you see those three places where his kingdom is also uh, prophesied. Now, so we've looked at the historical purpose of the book, doctrinal purpose of the book, the purpose to show Christ through Daniel. Now I want us to turn our attention to the purpose of the book for us. There are six important reasons for Daniel for us. Number one, it provides a vivid testimony of how to live faithfully before the Lord. You can't escape this. It's so clear. And especially in the face of opposition and persecution. The lives of Daniel and his three companions challenge us not to compromise with the world or to succumb to the world's false loyalties and idolatries. And and you have to see, these are young men. These are teenagers. And right away, they're confronted and they are not going to compromise. That that ought to inspire us, certainly our young people, but certainly us as adults, to not compromise. We want to see our children not compromise. We are challenged, I believe, to give our primary allegiance to God and to walk faithfully no matter what dangers may confront us, even if faced with the very threat of death. And some would say, well, it's easier to die. Okay, I can do that. But it's hard for me if I know I'm going to be laughed at and mocked and and excluded from my peer group and all those sorts of pressures that we experience in our culture and our world. You know, Jesus says, don't fear men. Don't fear those who can just kill the body. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We need to fear God. We need to have an awesome, holy reverence of God and be committed to him. And you see this reflected in the lives of Daniel and his companions. Number two, the book of Daniel is important to us because it reveals, I think, the critical nature and the absolute necessity of prayer. Prayer is critical. It's absolutely necessary to our life, and most particularly as Christians. And how we characterize prayer. Very often, prayer just becomes a litany of requests rather than the expression of a relationship. Having a conversation with God, learning to listen to God. Daniel provides one of the clearest examples of prayer in Scripture in the context of spiritual warfare. It gives us a startling glimpse of the spiritual realm that operates behind the scenes of human history. All you have to do is stop for a few minutes as you anticipate prayer and and just begin to remember, hey, there's spiritual warfare going on in my life, for my family, around my family. Uh, There are unclean spirits, demon spirits, who want access to my life, to my loyalty, uh, and, and and that of my family, and I dare not let them in and give them access. And the only way that you and I can stand firm is simply by praying. And praying is, is expressing dependence on God. God, I trust you. I trust you to protect me. I depend upon you. We're challenged. We're challenged, I think, 
to awaken to the reality of these spiritual forces at work in our world, at work in our lives, and more importantly, we're challenged to take prayer seriously. And if there's something wrong in our life, to confess our sin, get those things out in the open, live in the light. Daniel teaches us that prayer is God's chief weapon, his chief weapon given to us to defeat the forces of darkness. Now certainly in Ephesians chapter 6, we're, talking about, we're taught, told about the spiritual armor, but he, he highlights prayer on all occasions. Pray in all manner and stand firm. Third, <coughs> excuse me, Daniel's prophecies provide proof of the truth and the accuracy of God's word. We already talked about this, but it bears repeating. God knows the future, and he does reveal it and reveals it to his true servants whenever he chooses. In an age such as ours, and, and our age is really no different from any other in this sense, but our age is so prone to doubt every source of authority, even God's word. There are lots of people who call God's word into question. That's different from having a question about something you read in the Bible. But calling his word into question, doubting it, and doubting its authority, that opens the door to sin, that opens the door to rebellion. But in our culture, this is absolutely ongoing. Daniel, the book of Daniel, is an antidote to that. Why would Daniel's book be an antidote to that? Because all you have to do is study the prophecies. All you have to do is read the prophecies in the light of historical evidence, and you see how accurate and true God's word really is. As I said earlier, it is absolutely jaw-dropping. The Lord gave Daniel glimpses of the future that were absolutely astonishingly accurate and detailed. Daniel simply foretold actual historical events. He even gave their dates just as they have occurred. It's mind-blowing. Fourth, Daniel's prophecies included some world events yet to take place. There are still some things that are still to take place that Daniel prophesied. And specifically, he described the rise of the Antichrist and the horrors of the last days of the earth. He foretold the wars and the plagues to come upon this world due to its rebellion against God. He foretold a suffering such as the world has never seen, as we just saw earlier in chapter 12. And yet, we as believers today are given much more than just a description of those sufferings Beloved, we are also given a great hope and assurance of God's ultimate triumph. Israel, with God's help, will triumph all, over all of her enemies. Jesus Christ and his followers, all of God's people, will triumph over Satan and the forces of darkness. It is that knowledge of triumph that empowers us today as believers to live faithfully for Jesus Christ despite all opposition and persecution. We press on. We fight on. We live faithfully because we know. We, we read the end. We know. We win. Isn't that exciting? So we don't let down our guard. 
despite what appearances presently may be, we fight on. We understand, understand spiritual warfare is going on all around us. There are, there are unclean spirits trying to distract you this morning. Trying to deceive you. Yet we resist them. We resist them. Peter says we resist them and they will flee. <coughs> the book of Daniel assures us of God's ultimate, ultimate victory. And again, it provides the great hope and confidence that we need as believers. Number five, <clears throat> Daniel is an essential book because it sheds light on other parts of Scripture. J. Vernon McGee, he said of the book of Daniel, quote, the book of Daniel is the key to understanding other Scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, our Lord Jesus quoted from Daniel. He said the book of Revelation is largely an enigma. It's a, it's a mystery without the book of Daniel. So we're studying Daniel in anticipation of studying the book of Revelation. If you know Daniel, then Revelation becomes that much clearer to you. He says Paul's revelation concerning the man of lawlessness or the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul's revelation there needs Daniel's account for clarification to know again who this man of lawlessness is. And finally, number six, we can today understand that God judges sinners and he judges sin because he is holy. He must judge sin. His justice demands it because he is holy. He is holy. All sin must therefore be punished. But the fact that God's people may suffer judgment or even undeserved persecution by unbelievers does not diminish the truth of God and his power or the fact that he is sovereign. Peter tells us that the judgment of God begins where? With God's household, the church. He, he continues to refine and purify the church. But that judgment is going to extend to sin everywhere, isn't it? But God is still sovereign despite appearances. His purposes still, still stand strong and true. And though God's people may suffer temporary defeat, or in the case of Israel, other nations appear stronger and their rulers and their false gods victorious, none of these appearances, none of them, decrease the truth of God's absolute power. God is patiently, patiently working out his purpose and his plan and we are going to suffer in the process, but God has a redemptive purpose for that suffering, those trials and difficulties. We can trust him. God is absolutely sovereign. He is proven all-powerful, almighty, and his purpose will be accomplished. And the book of Daniel, I believe, illustrates that truth forcefully and convincingly. You come away from the book of Daniel, reading it, and you go, Yay, God. <laughs> Yay, God. And you're just incredibly humbled 
by the fact that he chose you. That he plucked you as a brand from the fire. He knows you by name. That you're one of the elect. You come away going, God, thank you. Thank you. And guess what? Nothing you or I ever did or ever could do would deserve it. It's purely his mercy and his grace extended to you and extended to I. And for that, we say thank you, Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, now I want to encourage you to continue to read the book of Daniel. Now I want to give you another additional reading assignments to anticipate our next time together. And those other reading assignments are in 2 Kings chapter 23, beginning at verse 31 through chapter 24, verse 20. You're going to be reading about the history of Judah and the immediate circumstances and the rulers who were actually existent at the time of the rise of Babylon, and you'll read the causes uh, for Israel or for Judah's uh, conveyance to Babylon. Second Chronicles chapter 36, the first 13 verses. And Jeremiah chapter 52, verses 1 through 3. Now you can read more than that if you want, but that's the minimum, okay? And continue to read in the book of Daniel. Amen? Excited? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your mercy and your grace to us. Thank you, Lord, that you reveal your plans to us. Thank you that we have a great hope and a great confidence that despite all the craziness of this world and all the anxiety that, that the circumstances that we see can cause, Father, we can take a deep breath and we can say, Lord, thank you that you are in control. You're on your throne. Thank you that we can have confidence in this book called the Bible, that it is your word and it is true and it is accurate and we can depend upon it. We can stand upon it. Thank you for Jesus, the Christ. And thank you for the hope of, of his kingdom coming fully and at once and for all will be a kingdom of righteousness. Father, all of us long for what's right and one day everything will be made right. We worship you this morning. We give you thanks. We are in awe of who you are in all that you do. Lord, on, just expand our understanding. Open our eyes to the reality of your purposes that we may worship you more wholeheartedly. And Lord, we be more committed to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to share with your neighbor one thing you learned this morning, one thing that stuck out to you. Share that with your neighbor. Number two, pronounce a blessing on your neighbor. And number three, if it's appropriate, give your neighbor a holy hug and very possibly a holy kiss. And then let's stand together and sing his praises before we dismiss, shall we?